All right, let's go ahead and turn in your books, to your books, your Bibles. How about that? Let's clarify which book. <laughs> turn in your Bible to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra, again, we've been looking and studying the book of Ezra. And two weeks ago, again, we began looking at chapter number four of Ezra. But I first want to remind you that, again, we talked about the celebration that had taken place from chapters 1 through 3. The nation of Israel, again, were able to return to the promised city of Jerusalem. The spoils that had been taken from the temple 70 years prior to this uh, had been returned to them. So they could, again, bring that back with them as they began to, to build the foundation of the new temple again. It was a wonderful time. They were celebrated. They were excited. And uh, last time I introduced to you a, a new scripture song, Isaiah chapter 43. So while you're holding your finger in Ezra, flip back over to Ezra chapter 43. If you don't know it already, I would have thought everybody would have had it memorized by now. Ezra 43. Let's sing. Ezra, Isaiah. We're in Ezra. My mind is a million miles. I need to put the brakes on. Okay. Isaiah, Isaiah 43. Ezra doesn't even have 43 chapters. What am I doing? <coughs> okay, we're going to sing Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. If you remember, it's the end of verse number 1, all of verse 2, and the first part of verse number 3. So if you remember it, great, sing it loud. If you don't remember, uh, watermelon. Uh, anyway, here we go. <laughs> Isaiah 43. Fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the water, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. Hey! At least got the last word right. Amen. All right, let's sing this one more time. Now that you got it reintroduced into your mind and we're all in the book of Isaiah, well, we can sing this again, shall we? <laughs> Here we go. One more time. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the water, I will be with thee. And through the river they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. Hey! All right, we'll probably introduce that in children's church, won't you? No. That's a lot of words to throw in there. But again, it's a promise. We're not to fear. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Think about who you are tonight as a saved individual, that God has redeemed us. He has called us out of the world. He has called us to follow him. And we're not to fear, not to worry about that. Again, just be obedient in following the Lord. No matter the trials that come, the, the fires that are there, the waters that you have to go through oftentimes, think about the Lord taking you through that and understanding he's always going to be there. So... Uh, it's a great portion of Scripture, and it's a great way to, to memorize uh, the Word of God as well and apply it in your life as you're going through the day, as you're going through those trials. Stop and think about this portion of Scripture. Uh, so again, we looked at that last time, and after the celebration, we saw that there were the corruptors. Again, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we looked at that. The Samaritans had come to offer help, if you would, as they were trying to rebuild the temple. And again, this was a mixed race of people. That caused trouble for the Jews all throughout history. 
and they were not to be trusted here as well. So uh, again, they understood that. They brought with them the compromise. They wanted to, to, again, socialize with the Jews and later maybe even sabotage their rebuilding process. So there was a lot of things going on. There were some things uh, that uh, was happening within their lives as they were trying to rebuild what God had given them. When these youths decided not to allow them to come to be a part of what they were doing, the Samaritans complained. They wrote a letter to the king and, and wanted to, to, to tell him what all was going on and complain to him, hoping that he would stop the rebuilding process. And that's exactly what happened. He, they caught the eye of the king and all that they were saying to him, and he decided, well, wait a minute, let me reply to their complaint. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started as we continue looking through chapter number four of Ezra. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, again, we thank you for the time we've had already this morning. Lord, uh, again, a great time uh, in your word, studying it, encouraging one another, singing your praises, and then this evening, Lord, as well as we've uh, been able to meet together tonight. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you would help us as we look to this account of, of Ezra and his life and all that was going on with the nation of Israel here. Help us to learn from it. Help us to apply what we hear this evening, that we can be faithful men and women of God, that people can see our lives, and again, we would reflect you in everything we say and do. Lord, I pray that you would direct us and guide us. Help us tonight. Use us as only you can, and we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, as we continue looking here in chapter number four, oftentimes I look at these things and um, and I've told you before, as I read and study this, the Lord just reveals certain things, uh, and that's how I kind of come up with my outlines. For some reason, I was just stuck on the letter C, and uh, this whole chapter was all C's, and it was C, 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 and I was like, it's amazing how some of that works out. I know some people can't do that. They don't like it, but they, hey, that's how God speaks to me when I go through and I read it and I study it. That's what he gives me. So sometimes I feel like I'm on Sesame Street. Tonight, we're brought to you sponsored by the letter C. So uh, again, so as we continue this outline, it's going to be the letter C. Number one tonight is the correspondence from the king. So again, we find that they have written this letter. Uh, they've complained to the king. They've given their complaints and their problems to the king through a letter. Now he is returning and he is writing them back. So let's look here in Ezra chapter 4. Begin reading in verse number 17. Ezra chapter 4, verse number 17 the Bible says, Then set the king an answer to Rehum, the chancellor, and to Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their companions that dwelt in Samaria and unto the rest beyond the river. Peace, and at such a time. And the letter which ye sent unto us hath been plainly read before me. And I commanded that the search hath been made, and it is found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against the kings, and that rebellion and the sedition had been made therein. There have been mighty kings all over Jerusalem which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll and tribute and custom, custom was paid unto them. Give ye now commandments to cause these men to cease, and that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the kings? 
You may recall, again, the Samaritans had sent this letter to the king uh, back in verses 11 through 16, telling him all that the Jews were doing and how it was going to affect his kingdom. Again, they were, they were playing at his emotions, if you were. They were pulling on the heartstrings, and in this case, it was pulling on the old wallet, and he didn't like that. Uh, if the city was going to rebuild, there would be no more tolls, no more tribute, no more customs. Uh, people were not going to pay money like they used to. So again, that's going to affect a lot of things, and it's not just going to affect the kingdom, but it's going to affect these Samaritans as well. Because we find here, verse number 14, it says about the maintenance of the king's palace. The Samaritans there were being paid by the king. So if they're not going to get any more tolls, if they're not going to get any more tribute or customs, they're not going to get any more money either. So again, you start messing with people's wallet, guess what? People don't like that. They're going to complain. So that's exactly what the Samaritans were doing. They were like, hey, write this down. You're the scribe, start writing. Uh, we're not going to get paid anymore. Let the king know that. Tell him to stop it. We need to cease this. Cease and desist. We're not going to do it anymore. So again, they were bringing that complaint. And oftentimes when we hear of complaints, what's going to bring with that? It's going to bring discouragement. And that's exactly what we find here uh, in this account and how Satan operates. Just like what we find, he's going to use discouragement. Discouragement is a terrible thing because people will get things into their minds and create discouragement and no one can get them out of that, that lull, that, that, that funk, if you would, whatever you want to call it. We just can't get our minds out of that. Discouragement is a terrible thing. But have you ever driven to church and there was a crazy driver in front of you? You wonder why on earth? Why is it happening? You ever come to church and the kids get in the car and you're like, be quiet back there. Sunday morning, you ever been, ever had Sunday mornings like that? You know, your spouse says something and you just want to, really? You, and it was nothing bad, it's just the way you took it. You know, there's a lot of things that happen, uh, especially it seems like on Sunday morning, that will just cause discouragement. And then you come into church and, good morning. <laughs> How you doing? That's really what it should be. Uh, we come in Sunday night or had a bad day. We didn't get a nap. Whatever the case, there's a lot of times we allow that discouragement to feed into us and hinder our worship, hinder our time of fellowship together. And it all starts as we are preparing, as I've said before, Saturday night, preparing for Sunday morning. So again, we've got to make sure we've got the right mindset. We've got to make sure we're, we're doing what it is we're to do or supposed to be doing to allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts. When we're discouraged, we can't do that. When we're disgusted at what's going on around us in the situation and trials we're trying to face, we're not going to allow the Word of God to penetrate our heart and direct us as we need to. But you know, we're not the only ones that act that way. We're not the only ones that have that problem. You would be surprised how many people deal with this situation we can even go back in Scripture and see where a variety of people were having trouble and struggles with discouragement. Stop and think about Moses. Moses, can you imagine being Moses and having to lead the nation of Israel, all the, the complaining Baptists out of the, the land of Egypt? But it got to the point where he wanted to even kill himself. That's how bad it was. If you were to look in Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 15, it tells us that he was ready to die. He said, I'm tired of this. Lord, I don't want any more of it. I know you've called me to do this, but I'm done. If thou dealt with us, excuse me, if thou dealt with us with me, kill me, I pray thee. That was his prayer. Going to God saying, I'm tired of this. You know, we look at him as being a, a great and mighty, uh, again, example of faith. But yet he was human just like the rest of us. It was a time he was tired of dealing with all that was going on. 
He was doing a great job. He was doing what God had called him to do, but he was relying on his own strength and his own power, just like we do sometimes. And it was a problem. And after that prayer offered to God, God told Moses to gather 70 of the elders and the officers and meet him in the tabernacle, and God was going to take care of it. God was going to take care of the despondency that was uh, brewing up in all those people that were complaining and, and, and moaning to Moses. Joshua was another one that was discouraged as he was leading the nation of Israel. You can go back and look in Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 7 where it says, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou that all brought us over the Jordan and delivered us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Why didn't you just leave us on the other side of the Jordan? Why are we coming into this land and why are we being consumed by our enemy? Why did you allow this? Why, why, why? We ever ask God why? We're not the only ones. Again, we see this in the example we find in Scripture of those mighty men. Oftentimes, they were complaining and, and asking God why. But you would be surprised how many people you see as they get out of their car and walk across the parking lot. And the countenance will change as they get closer to the front door and come in and everything's all smiles. We all have problems. We've all got difficulties in our lives. Every one of us may be a little different but it's no less important to that individual. So what do we do and how do we overcome it? We've got to learn to give that to God. We've got to learn to let it go and give it to God and say, Lord, here it is. Give it to God. He's the one that can take care of it. He's the one that can handle our problems. Oftentimes, we try to fix things ourselves when we can't. So again, we can have discouragement. But we can also look at the distractions that we have in our lives. Sunday morning, again, is the hardest sometimes. That's the day when we want to sleep in. The actual day you're feeling tired enough to where I can just lay in bed all day. Know how you feel sometimes? Why can I do that on Saturday? Why can I do that on Monday? No, it has to be Sunday. That's the day I feel that way. That's the day when all the family wants to get together. Hey, let's go to the lake. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. There's a lot of distractions that are out there that are keeping us from where we know we should be. These distractions are not just from the outside, but from within as well. You ever gotten through Sunday school and start the Sunday morning service and your stomach start going, brr, brr, brr. oh man, I'm getting hungry. It's like I haven't eaten in a week. You just got done eating, doesn't matter. But again, those, those distractions that get you to start thinking, okay, well, what's for lunch? What's in the refrigerator? What can heat up real quick? What restaurant are we going to go to? Well, all these questions start coming back to our minds. Again, causing us to be distracted from what God wants us to understand. Uh, again, it's, it's one of those areas that we've got to learn to get a hold of. Satan is causing every type of distraction he can to keep us from understanding what God wants from us. And uh, how do we defeat it? We understand that Satan cannot read our minds. You know that, right? He can't read your minds. It seems like it sometimes, but he can't read your mind. But he can't see your reactions. He can see how you've reacted in the past to whatever situation you've dealt with or whatever problem has come around. And he said, you know what? I'm going to try that again. And by the way, his tactics has never changed. He's done the same thing for all of eternity. So we understand that. We know that. Why shouldn't we defeat it even more? Because we allow ourselves to get caught up in a lot of things. So again, we should learn to, uh, to, to, to extinguish those fiery darts Again, Ephesians tells us that we're to put on the shield of faith, wherewith we're able to quench those fiery darts that the wicked is shooting to us. 
You know, it may not be the, the dart that kills us, but if we don't quench it, that fire can begin to spread. And as that fire spreads, it's going to hit the person next to us on this side and the person on that side, and it's going to start consuming the entire family. It's more than just you that you're dealing with. It's affecting other people as well. So it's important that we take on that shield of faith to take care of that problem. We must use faith that God has given us to not be allowed us to, to become distracted, to not let the discouragement overwhelm us and cause us to, to be upset and uh, overburdened with what's going on in this life. Because that's exactly what the nation of Israel had done here. These Jews that were again there in Jerusalem trying to rebuild, they became discouraged because so-and-so didn't like what we were doing. So now they sent a letter to the king and so on and so forth. They were getting distracted with their own buildings, building their own homes and preparing their own lots that they no longer worked on the temple anymore. As we went back and remember, we looked that they began working on the walls instead of the temple. So again, they were uh, caught up with these same problems that we have today. So it's nothing new. It's nothing different. It's the same adversary that we're battling today that they were back then. So again, we can overcome that. They overcame it. We can overcome it. But it's something we've got to make a priority in our lives. But as they were rebuilding, they were working. They wanted to make sure that they were doing the right things. Or, and, of course, the Samaritans wanted to, to stop what they were doing. And that's what we find, number two tonight, is the ceasing by force. The ceasing by force. Look at verse 23 with me, if you would. It says, now when the copy of the kings are to, the king... Let me try this again. Now, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahum and Shemshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went up, to the, went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. This letter of the king was sent back to these group of companions, these complainers, these these. These people, we'll leave it that way. And it, again, detailed that these Jews were to cease rebuilding uh, altogether. Immediately stop, quit, stop what you're doing. Remember that they had originally gone back to rebuild the temple. They had permission to do that, but they had been uh, changed to starting building the wall of this city. And, of course, we noticed that the, the letter that was written, it was from this man by the name of Rehum, the chancellor, and Shemshia, the scribe. You know, as I was studying this portion, looking at it, I kept wondering, who are these two individuals? What, what's their significance and why is it uh, that the Word of God gives us the names of these people? You know, many of you know that a scribe is a position held by those that worked in the temple. These were, this was a Jew, a scribe. It was uh, somebody that was a part of the, the, the court there that was in the temple that was supposedly or supposed to be working for the Lord. They were the ones that would uh, write the historical accounts of what they were doing, where they were going through. They were there to uh, record different things. They were the writers. They were the, the transcribers of, uh, of the Word of God to new scrolls and, and so on and so forth. So they were very involved with what God had. But yet we find here uh, somebody that didn't do that or wasn't a part of that or, uh, again, kind of really not so sure of what his role was. We go back and we can look at Ezra chapter 2. In verses 1 and 2, where it gives the list of the names of all those that came uh, over to the Jerusalem from the Babylonian era. And we find this name, Rahum. He was one that was actually identified as one of the, the leaders there in the temple that was coming to be a part of this. 
And he is the same one that we find here in chapter number four, verses eight through 23. I've mentioned that Satan doesn't play fair. Satan cheats, he lies, he does whatever he can in anything to, to keep us from having any type of victory in our lives. And as uh, you're going through this and you're reading, and uh, as I was, again, just meditating on this and, and praying and asking the Lord to, to show me what it was I need to understand about these two individuals, it kept coming back to mind that there are times there are people, even within our own church, that can cause hurt. And, you know, there are some that don't mean to. There are some that innocently uh, do things, but again, it can cause pain to other people. Unfortunately, there are some that get away from God in even the smallest way. And Satan will do what he can to use that as a way to hurt somebody, to hinder somebody's growth or, or time of worship, whatever the case. And you may be saying, well, uh, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong, but, you know, maybe I just haven't read my Bible. I haven't prayed, uh, you know, over the past couple of days or whatever. Satan will use that to cause a wedge. Satan will use whatever he can, however he can, to keep us from following what God wants us to do. And as we're trying to, to witness, as we're trying to work, as we're trying to worship, all these things can come together and Satan will drive a wedge from this person to that person or this one to that one because... We're not on praying ground, if you would. So it's important to keep our lives clean and pure. It's important that we stay as close as we can to the Lord and follow his commands every single day because Satan will do what he can to defeat you. He doesn't like you being here tonight. He doesn't like you paying attention to what's being said. He doesn't like you being a part of this worship. And so that's why some people get distracted. Some people keep looking, what's going on here? Oh, whose kid is this? And what's happening here? And oh, I'm getting hungry again. He's talk, talking about food and, and all and on and on. Again, this is what Satan is going to use to get us distracted. So it's something we've got to make sure we're staying on top of. We've got to stay as close as we can to the Lord Jesus to follow him and do what he wants us to do. You know, as I started thinking about this, I was going back and thinking about my personal devotions and reading the book of Job. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Job. Some of it's kind of hard for me to understand and, and grasp a hold of. But as I was looking at Job and uh, the example in his life, could you imagine what it would have been like if he had the same attitude that some of us have in dealing with the problems he dealt with? I mean, I, I, I'm sure you understand and remember all the things that he had gone through, all the things that was happening in his life. God had said, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's a no, not a man like him on the earth. He is perfect. He is upright. One that feareth God and escheweth evil or hateth evil. Satan says, yeah, but you've hedged, hedged him about. Him and all of his family and you're protecting him on every side. And God again allowed Satan to tempt Job. He said, you can do anything you want, but don't take his life. First of all, Job, again, lost his oxen, his asses, and the thieving group of people had come in and stolen all that. Then fire came down from heaven and burned up his sheep. Could you, <laughs> again, this is just a movie in my mind. Do you, do you picture some of this? I see a sheep running across on fire. <laughs> now you're scarred for life. But that's just what goes on in my head. <laughs> that's what it says. Fire came down from heaven and burned up all the sheep. So he lost all of his sheep, lost his oxen, lost his asses. He lost everything. His servants had been killed. 
And finally, his sons and daughters were in some kind of freak windstorm that the whole house collapsed and killed them all. Now, what if Job was having a bad day? What if Job decided, well, uh, I'm just going to spout off and mouth off whatever it is. Because, you know, on top of that, he had a wonderful wife that said, curse God and die. That's really encouraging as well. So all these things were piling upon him, upon his life, and trying to overcome this. But what was his response? If you were to go back and look in Job chapter 1, verse 22, you'd find his response. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That was Job's response. What would be your response to that situation? What if you lost even half of, or even a third, or even part of what Job had lost, how would your response be? I think a lot of times we would just get mad and just blow up. Maybe I would. I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm sure I would get mad, I would get upset, I would be hurt. But Job did not blame God foolishly. Sometimes we think, well, I've just had a bad day and that's how I reacted or that's what I said because of the situation I was going through. Just because you're going through a bad day or having a bad incident in your life doesn't mean you're to react just like everyone else because then you become just as foolish as they are. So again, we need to be careful on how we react, what we say. If we're staying as close as we can to the Lord, He's going to help guide us and guard us and we're going to say what we need to say and not necessarily the things that we want to say in the flesh. So again, it's important that we stay close as we can to God. Allow His grace that is offered to us freely to help us, to guide us, and protect us. But on the flip side of that, don't allow that to become an excuse. Well, God's grace is going to help me so I can say what I want. There's a lot of people that will do that as well. We need to be careful about that. Don't allow that to become a part of our lives. But these men were part of this group, these companions, if you would, and they didn't hesitate to go back and force the Jews to quit building. They went back and made sure that what they probably had already built, they knocked over. Again, if you, uh, again, if you were to go back and look and study Nehemiah and, and what he was given, the report. And uh, again, it's amazing how Ezra and Nehemiah and some of these other books tie together. But you'll find that they had to go back and it was like nothing was done. Why? Because they went back and they forcibly made them to quit working. But I do believe also that they pushed down the walls that they already had built. Uh, burnt the, the, the gates that had already been tried to be set. On and on, as we go back and look, it was already taken care of and pushed over again. That's how these uh, companions, these wonderful people that's mentioned here, worked, just like Satan himself. They ceased the work, and then they canceled the building project altogether. Number three tonight, they canceled the building project. Look at verse 24 with me. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Everything stopped and nothing else was touched inside the city. They'd been giving some threats. There was some discouraging, uh, discouragement by these Samaritans. And they stopped the work altogether. They made sure they accomplished what they were trying to do. Stop the rebuilding. They took the easy way out. They quit. Again, these Jews decided, well, whatever you say, I'm going to do. And they quit working. They stopped altogether. You know, for us, oftentimes for us to quit is taking the easy way out. When opposition comes, when, when difficult times arise, we want to quit and say, I can't do it. 
And you're right, you can't do it, but God can use you through that. So this is why it's important that we continue to to fight the good fight of faith, to continue to do what God wants us to do. If God has given us the calling to follow him and do those things, then he's going to give us the strength to get through it. Maybe there's some learning process we've got to go through to get to that point. Maybe some things that we've got to get a hold of, maybe change in our lives as well, that God is going to try to, to use in this process. It's easy to quit. It's easy to to worry about the opposition. It's easy just to to go my own way. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Some people say, well, if if I don't go that way, I don't have to worry about Satan attacking me. I don't have to worry about the problems. I don't have to worry about anything. You're right, you don't. But you do have to worry about God's correction because God is trying to get you and invites you to be a part of his work He's going to give you what you need. So we can't give up. We can't quit. When we do that, it gives Satan the victory. He's the one that's going to prevail. He's the one that stopped the work here, that distracted them, that that kept them from rebuilding the temple as they should have been. We must remember whose side we're fighting on. What is the goal that we have before us? What is it that God wants us to do? And how does he want us to do it? Again, as they were fighting, as they were going through their, 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 their problems here in, in Jerusalem, trying to rebuild this temple, there's a lot of things that could have kept them from following. There's a lot of things that could have happened, but they decided to quit. They decided to stop. You know, as we looked at the, the scripture song tonight, as we stop and think about the words, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by my name. We have the name of Christ. He's going to help us. But we've got to make sure we carry on that name. He said, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall a flame kindle upon thee. Why? Because I'm the Lord thy God. So it's important as we look back and Understand Isaiah 43 in relation to what we are called to do, what God has for us. He's got a mission. He's got a a command that he wants us to follow. We've got to make sure we're faithfully doing what he wants us to do. Opposition will come. People will try to stop us. This is why we can't take the easy way out. We can't quit. We've got to continue on for the Lord. Would you bow your heads tonight? Close your eyes.